You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. I know this is the the early crowd, so you guys are super spiritual. Is that right? I like that so much. How How about the way God's moving in the lives of the students that were just baptized? How about that? That was some good stuff. I get, I get a little bit fired up about stuff like that. I don't know about you, but that gets my heart going. I, don't, I hope I don't pass out or anything. But I, 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 I'm so honored to be a part of, of this morning here at Foothills. My name is Nathan Smith. My wife's name is Levisy. She's about 5'9", because up about right here. She has brown hair, blue eyes, and she's my righteous fox. We, 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 uh, we've, been mar- we've been married for 17 years, and uh, we have two little girls, Gracie and Sophie. And uh, they couldn't be with us this morning. Sophie's got a little soccer tournament in North Carolina where we live. Um, but, but I was tucking her in for bed, and you know what she said? She said, Daddy, what did the baby volcano say to the daddy volcano? I said, I don't know, kid. What did the baby volcano say? She said, I lava you, Daddy. <laughs> so go ahead and just turn to the person next to you and just, just wrap your arms around their face and say, I lava you. Do it right now. Just do it. Mean it. You got to mean it. Passionate. I tell you what, Trent and I go way back. Uh, there's, there's nothing I wouldn't do for Trent, nothing he wouldn't do for me. So far, we've done absolutely nothing for each other. But <laughs> I, uh, I, I really am, Trent, really just honored to be a part of this. I mean, this, this is something that, that I saw. I was, I was doing a student ministry event at Grace uh, Baptist Church across town where your daddy is a pastor. And, and I was speaking to the students that night. The first time I met Trent, he was on a tricycle. And uh, yeah, and you were like you were like in your late twenties at that point, still riding tricycles. It was so awkward. He had he had his uh, all this gear on. He was going up to to make students you know entertain and, and laugh, get them fired up for the weekend. And he was we were leaving, or you may have already left that position to start this church. And what God's done here in those in that period of time, it's been about five years. How long has it been since you started? So six. I was close. God's done. God's done some really great stuff. This place is this place is is grow, growing. I mean, the way the way people are being saved, and I, I know I know Greg Gibson really well too. He speaks for our camp, Journey Camp, and I've known Landon since you were since you were third, twelve, third, since we met. And and, uh, <laughs> and God's God's hand's been on this kid since, since middle school, and uh, and probably before. I mean, and. And to see the way the Lord is shaping the student ministry, how many of you guys own a teenager? Anybody, anybody got one? Okay. You, then you've probably heard about Journey Camp. We, we're, doing, we're doing a coastal camp this year, and, and your church is the one that really stepped forward to say, hey, Nate, we'll help start this initiative. We'll help launch this. And now we've got over 300 students involved in our coastal camp thanks to uh, the, the steps of faith that your church has taken. I, I'm, just, I'm just blown away by the way God's, God's moved and and shaping and the lives that are being changed. There'll be some more students baptized in the services that follow. And it's just great to be here. There's three types of people in the room. I don't know if you know that. There's athletes in the room this morning. Raise your hand if you're an athlete. If you played sports and people like actually enjoyed watching you play. Okay, your hands went down so fast. That was awesome. And then there's, there, there's non-athletes in the room. Where are my non-athletes? Raise your hand. Be proud of it. It's okay. Because the athletes all work for you. Um, and then, and then, you got, then you got another group that I call surprising athletes. These are people that don't look like they could ever do anything athletic, 
but they do. They show up, and you're like, how did you do that? You know, it's kind of, kind of astounding. I had a friend like this growing up. His name was Lucas. He's my best friend in elementary school. We've been friends ever since. He, he lives in Minnesota now, but Lucas was the kid in backyard football who would, you fourth and goal, we, you know, we'd just throw it up, and he would always bring it down. He was the kid who could hit off the best pitcher in our pony league, and, and he was the kid who literally, I mean, just could blow, he'd blow your mind. He'd play soccer and score all the goals. I'm like, man, you look at his face, you look at his body, you're like, there's no way. But then he would just show up. You'd be like, how did you do that? We went to the fair one time, and uh, you guys have a fair in, in Knoxville, like a, I don't know, like a little county fair or something like that? I always would go because they had funnel cakes. And, uh, and we, went, we went there, and we rode, we rode all the rides. And, and after we rode both of them, um, we... we, we we went to the part of the fair where you try to win stuff. And you know what I'm talking about. There's always that one guy who's trying so hard to win something for his girlfriend. And, and this, this guy in particular day had a sweet mullet and maybe three teeth. And, uh, and he was trying to win this panda. He had spent like $50. And he could have bought like three of those pandas if he just, you, you, know, you know that part of the fair. And so I'm like, well, we, we should play a game. But I'm not trying to win a panda for my friend. So... What should we do? And we found this game where you could throw a baseball and see who could throw the fastest. And so we bought three balls. It was like three tickets. And, and I had two tickets, and Lucas had one. We got three balls. And I threw first, and I just threw it as hard as I could. I wanted to see how fast I could throw, so I just wind up. It was like 14 miles an hour. I was really embarrassed. I was like, something's wrong with your radar. I don't, I don't think that's – I threw a lot faster than that. And, and, and the man that was in charge, he, he told me, he said, no, the radar is good. So Lucas gets up there. I gave him my other balls. I, I give up. This thing's broken. Lucas gets up there, and the fastest pitch ever recorded by a 12-year-old kid is about 76 miles per hour. He let it go. Same thing. <sighs> Threw it 72. He, next ball, he threw 73. He was three miles per hour off the world record. I had no idea. Like the, when he let the ball go, that guy was eating like a fried Twinkie with Oreos on top, and it exploded on his face. It, it was one of the neatest things I've ever. I was like, man, I, I had no idea you could throw that fast. So it starts to rain at the fair, and we took off. Mom picked us up, and it rained for six straight days. When the rain finally stopped, I called my buddy Lucas. I was like, what are we going to do today? He goes, let's go to Clay's house. Clay was the guy who had the best house in our neighborhood, but he was very boring. We called him Clay Blah. And so we went to Clay Blah's house. He had a sweet dog and a ping pong table and a pool table, and we were playing with his dog outside. And the real reason we had gone to Clay's house is so because the girls, they lived across the creek. In the, in the house, but, but right across the creek behind his house. We could cross the creek and go, go see the girls. I like girls. So I wanted to go, go, go to Clay's house. Well, I get back there, and uh, the creek is no longer a creek. It's a river. It had been raining for six straight days. And so all you could see was like, man, just, just trees just being swept away and random turtles just like, you know, going down the, the, the river. It was, it was really an unbelievable. I would say, well, how did they get this high? I've never seen the creek this high. And my little brother, because he wanted to, to, to go see the girls before we did, he just ran and he jumped into the creek. My little brother was very dumb. He was the opposite of smart. He, he, he just dove into that creek and, and literally the current just swept him away. So I'm running down the creek trying to catch my little brother. 
And I said, why did you do that? You, you didn't even take off your shoes. Why would you, why would you jump in the creek? And he got this look in his eyes like, I'm going to show you wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. And he swims to the other side and grabs a hold of a tree root. And as he holds the tree root, the, the current is sweeping him away. But he's holding on as tight as he can. He's trying to climb up the bank. He, he pulls out the, at the mud and he, he scrapes away some of the mud, but he can't get up because it's just too slippery. He reaches up, grabs some grass, and he pulls down, and he can't get up. He's trying so hard. He can't do it. I said, man, I'm going to hand you a branch. My, Matt, hold on to this branch. I reached out the branch to him. He wouldn't do it. He wanted to get to the other side to show us that he could, he could cross. He pulls away one more time at the creek bank, and there was a hole about this big. Out of the hole came a head that was about this big. It was the biggest copperhead I've ever seen in my life. It was like, you ever seen Harry Potter? It wasn't as big as that snake, but it was, it was huge. <laughs> and it reaches its head out, out of the hole and sees my brother and kind of cocks back and opens up its mouth. You can see its fangs just dripping with death. It's moving to strike my brother. My brother doesn't even see it. He's still trying to climb up. I heard something whiz by my ear. It was the same sound I had heard at the fair just a few, just a few days before. My buddy Lucas had quick scooped a softball-sized rock and threw it as hard as he could. That snake's head blew up like a bomb. It was awesome. <laughs> Snake brain splattered all over my brother. My brother realized what was going on. He's like, ah! He started to scream because all these little baby snakes started to come out from behind the mama. And it looked like Medusa's head. They were just kind of crawling out. And they were scurrying along the muddy creek bank to try to get to my brother to bite him because, you know, their mom had just been attacked. So they're moving towards him. And Lucas is picking up more rocks, and he's killing babies now. And Clay, he picks up rocks. He, he's, he's trying to help my brother. So I pick up a rock, and I throw it, hit my brother right in the head. <laughs> and that's the story of my life right there. I don't know how many of you guys enjoy a good story. I, I like to tell stories at camp because I, I, I feel like, you know, that's kind of what Jesus did. I mean, if you read about his life, he, he was the master storyteller. He had parables, and everywhere he went, he would tell stories. That's the story of my life. How many of you guys like me, you always find a way to mess it up? Anybody? I, I, I'll just be honest. Like, it seemed like everything I tried to do, you know, growing up, I, I tried to get A's. But I'd come back sometimes with C's. And I'd be like, Mom, I tried. And Mom would be like, you could do better than that. I said, Mom, I, I can, but, but I didn't. And I'm really sorry. I, I'd be in relationships with people, and I'd always find a way to offend them, always find a way to mess things up. So if I'm not here in the third service, you'll know why. <laughs> I want to take you to a story that Jesus told, one of the most famous stories he ever told. Uh, and this morning we're going to be in Luke, the Gospel of Luke 15. When I got saved, I started to read the Bible, and uh, my youth pastor that led, led me to Christ, he, he told me, he said, you should read the New Testament first, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I read all four. I actually sat down in my car, I was waiting for school to start, every morning I get there early, and I read the Bible, and I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I, I, think, I've, I think I knocked it out in like the first week that I was saved. I couldn't figure out why Jesus kept dying. So I asked my youth pastor, like, why does Jesus keep walking into that? Like, I don't understand. And he said, dummy, that's the same story. You know, it's, it's four different authors. But Luke wasn't one of the disciples, but he was a very educated man. He, he, he recorded this story, probably told secondhand by some of the disciples whom he knew. And I'd like to share it with you this morning. If you're with me this morning, say, oh, yeah. 
Let's do this. Verse 11 of Luke 15. Jesus is talking. This ain't my story. This is his. He said, there was a man who had two sons. How many of you know this story? I want to see your hands if you know this story. Put your hands up. What's the name of this story? Okay, whoa, that's a lot. there's a lot of church people in the room this morning. I like that. You know that it's called the prodigal son, right? I always, I always ask this because I, I want to make sure that, that, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm talking to the right audience here. If, if you know it's the prodigal son, then surely you know what the word prodigal means, right? What does prodigal mean? Most people don't know. It means wasteful. Prodigal means wasteful. This is a story of a wasteful son, a, a story about a kid who blew it, who messed up, who was wasting his life. We'll get there, but this is just the first verse. It, it's, it's actually a story about, about two boys because the man had two sons. We're going to focus on the one son, the first son, the younger son this morning, but, but he had two sons. I can relate to the story because of that. My dad had two sons. It was me and my little brother, Matt. And everything we did, we were competing with each other. You guys, have, you guys have a brother or sister that you competed with growing up? Anybody got that? Anybody with me this morning? Anybody awake yet? It's 8.45 right now. It's, it's 9.09. I didn't even know that. I had a brother. We, we rode dirt bikes against each other. My dad used to race for a company called Ducati Motorsports. And uh, he would go fast. He, he got his dirt bikes when we were five years old. My mom didn't think it was a good idea, but he thought it was an awesome idea. And we sure thought it was too. We had a field behind our house and we'd race our dirt bikes around all the, every day after school. We'd get home and we'd get on our bikes. My dad one time got arrested for going over 200 miles an hour in a 55 speed zone. The cops wrote on his ticket, attempted suicide. <laughs> he was actually taken to jail and, uh, and true story, uh, the officers who arrested him, they, they submitted the, the the, the, the violation to the person who was booking him into the jail. They're going to take his license and everything. And the man who was booking my dad looked at the officers and said, do you guys know who you just arrested? And the officers were like, yes, some idiot that was screaming down 85, going over 200 miles an hour. We don't know him. Who, who, who is he? They said, this is Jerry Smith. He races for Ducati. He, he almost won Talladega last week, finished second, and won Road Atlanta the week before. He's a professional motorcycle racer. And they said, okay. They took the ticket, ripped it into three pieces. They said, Mr. Smith, if you'll autograph each piece of this ticket, we'll let you go. <laughs> so I looked up to my dad. My whole life, I thought he was, I mean, he's my hero, right? I want to be like him. I want to go fast. And my brother was the same way. We just kind of grew up this way. The younger son says to his daddy, Father, can I have the share? Uh, actually, he says, give me the share of property that is coming to me, give me my share of the inheritance. And the father divided his property between his two sons. I can't imagine what it must feel like to have your son come up to you at whatever age he was and to say, Dad, I really wish I could do life my way. I don't really like the farm. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I wish I could have my money now. Finish this sentence for me, will you? I get my inheritance when my parents die. So basically, he says to his daddy, Dad, I wish you were dead. Could you imagine how his father must have felt? The rejection, the pain. At the same time, the baffling part of the story is he gives the kid the money. 
He entrusts his son with the inheritance. He just says, go, go, go ahead, son. I, I wish you well. Not long after that, the younger son gathered everything he had and left on a, on a journey to a faraway country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. There's the word squandered. There's the word wasted. He wasted it away. And what makes this kid a cosmic idiot is that he, think, think about this with me for a second, he spent his inheritance before he was ever even supposed to have it. That, that takes it to a whole nother level. You understand what I'm saying? That's, the, the, that's, like, that's like owning a credit card. You know what I'm saying? I didn't just call all of you idiots if you have a credit card, but I may have. I may have. I have one too. Am, am I an idiot? I, I believe if you spend money before you have it, that's the very definition of foolish. He's wasting his, his life away. He, he's, he's spending it all. He absolutely says, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to have the best time I could possibly have. I'm going to go watch the fights. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to buy the, the, best, the best food, the best, the best drinks I can get. He probably got into all kinds of stuff, man. You heard her testimony on the screen. She said, she said I made a lot of bad decisions. I, I was wasting my life. He wasted it, his whole inheritance. And when he had spent everything he had, verse 14, a famine arose in that land, and he was in great need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of the country who sent him in the field to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the food that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Have you ever been hungry? If, you, if, if, if you've ever been hungry, then you know that there's only one way to satisfy that hunger. And the answer is food, right? How many of you had breakfast this morning? Turn to the person next to you and tell them what you have for breakfast. Go. You got three seconds. Anybody have bacon? Eggs? Omelets? Biscuits with gravy? No, because you come to the 8.30 service. You don't have time. <laughs> you got Sunday brunch plan, baby. That's, what, that's what's up. I'm going to get that as soon as you're done speaking, fat boy. Thanks for the advice. I tell you what, man. I love to eat. You could tell. I mean, some of you guys, like Landon, he has abs of steel. I have abs of meals. You know what I'm saying? It's one of my favorite things to do. He, he's super starving. He, he's so hungry. He ain't no, nothing. In fact, the whole country's starving because there's a famine. He says, comes to his senses. You, could, you know the story. He, he, says, he says, man, how many of my father's servants have it better than me? They got, they got it going good. They're back on the farm. They got food to eat. He starts thinking about home and the mistakes that he's made. How can I get back to my father? How can I make this right? He comes up with a plan. He's just going to go back and say, Dad, can I just work for you? I wasted my inheritance. I blew it. I messed up. I sinned against God. I sinned against you. But can, but can, I, can I just, I'll work. I'll do anything. Just let me be your servant. That's his plan. And so he heads back home. He arose and came to his father. And man, I, if you've got a Bible, I'd circle this one. Because I mess up all the time. 
I'd circle this verse. I'd, I'd memorize this verse. This is, be- this is beautiful. I, I'd, I'd picture this in your mind if you can. Picture that even if you've heard this story before, even if you've read this story dozens of times, imagine what it must have been like. He went to his daddy, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, and he felt compassion in his heart. He ran to his son. He embraced his son, and he kissed him. I can't even read it. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against God and you. I don't deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring the best robe and put it on my son. Who do you think owned the best robe in the house? Put my robe on on my boy and put a ring on his on his finger and get shoes for his feet and by the way grab the fat calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and now he's alive again he was lost now he's found and they began to celebrate I heard this story as a 17 year old boy at a summer camp in the mountains of North Georgia. My youth pastor had tricked me into coming to camp. I didn't want to go. I'd go to church on Sundays with my mom. My mom was a single mom because my dad and mom stopped loving each other when I was 10 years old. I'd go to church with her because she wanted her boys to be beside her in church, but we'd sit in the back and talk about the people in the front. And I was always bored, especially when that old guy got up to talk. He didn't make no sense to me. And the songs weren't like, like James and all the stuff he's bringing. And Sweet Austin. And, and your, your, band, your band of Foothill. You, you guys got some good music here at this church. How many of you guys hate it? I, I don't know. I, I love it. I, but I, I didn't get it. I was the First Baptist Church of Columbia. And I, I'll be honest, very traditional, very... very as a teenager, I was very, very much bored out of my mind. I, I'd open the hymnal, but I'd have my Sports Illustrated right there, you know, so I could be reading. My youth pastor called one day and said, hey, Nate, I see you come to church, but you never come to youth stuff. I was like, yeah, man, I'm busy. I got sports. I got school. I got a lot of stuff going on. He said, well, I'm in your neighborhood today. Can I stop by? I said, yeah, man, come on by. I hung up the phone thinking, did I just tell him that was okay? He showed up at my house. And the ball was bouncing in the driveway. That's how I knew. He was playing basketball with my little brother, who ain't little anymore. He's 6'7". And uh, he was washing his car out in the, out in the driveway. He had uh, just got his driver's license and decided to go four-wheeling, mud riding. You guys do that in Tennessee too, right? I know there's a bunch of you guys who do. You probably shoot deer and turkey and all that too. I love going mud riding. If you've never been four-wheeling, you need to do that before you die. It's a lot of fun. I just don't recommend it in a Toyota Corolla. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> his car was covered in, he's covered in mud. Youth pastor walks up. His name's Greg. He might have been 5'11". He looks at my brother and said, let's play one-on-one, Matt. My brother said, okay. He said, all right, let's make a bet. And my brother's like, youth pastor wants to bet? Next thing you know, next thing you know, they're, they're talking, they're in this conversation. I'm listening over to the side. Youth pastor says, if you, if you beat me, Matt, I, I tell you what, if I beat you, 
You come to church and you come to the youth ministry, you check it out. My brother didn't want to go to church. He said, what do I get if I win? Greg said, what do you want? My brother looked over at his car. He said, if I beat you, you wash my car. Youth pastor said, yep, I'll do it. They shook on it. My brother shot for ball and made it. He took the ball right into the post. He, he banging down with, with this guy, fakes one way, goes over to the side off a pivot, off the glass, easy layup. It goes in the basket, starts to spin around, and pops out. Greg grabs the rebound. He, he takes the ball out because he hits the rim. He fakes like he's going to drive to the basket, stops, and throws up the ugliest high-arcing rainbow shot you've ever seen. Swish, nothing but net. My brother said, that's your, that's your shot? He said, your shot is garbage. He said, that's the last basket you'll get. And Greg said, make it, take it. My brother agreed. He checked the ball, checked the ball back. Next shot, Greg throws up that same nasty, high-arcing rainbow. You saw Dorothy and Toto up there. Like, it was, <laughs> it, it was terrible. He, he threw it up, and it went in swish, nothing but net. I started laughing. I said, Matt, you're going to church. <laughs> he beat my brother 16 to 3. And they, they, they finished the, the game. We came in to get some water before he, before he uh, was going to leave. And I just said, something's different about this guy. He started bragging about his girlfriend, how they'd never kissed, how he wasn't going to kiss her until the day they got married. I'd never heard anything like that. I was like, what are you talking about, man? That's crazy. You don't kiss your girlfriend? She, he had a picture in his wallet. She was beautiful. I was like, what's wrong with you? I've heard about guys like you. I was like, you're weird. He said, no, we're going to get married. And that's the first time, you know, the first time he kissed Allison was on, their, was on their wedding day on the altar in Houston, Texas at Cypress Bible Church, their first kiss. He became my youth pastor because after that, he walked outside and washed my brother's car. He's on his knees scrubbing the tires. Never seen that in my whole life. He said, why don't you come to church with your brother? I said, I didn't lose a bet. <laughs> he said, you want to play one-on-one? -on -one? I said, no, 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 I'm good. I went that Wednesday night. I never stopped going back. My brother never went back. But that's another story. Luke 15, I heard that for the first time on Wednesday night at summer camp because the doctor in our church had paid for me to go. See, my mom was working two jobs, couldn't afford to send me. I was working too, but I only had like $30 when I walked up to Greg that Sunday and asked for the last spot. And I listened to that story, and I sat in the back, and I watched this, this man on stage who I had this tremendous respect and bond for burst into tears when he started to talk about his dad. His story was a lot like my story. You see, my dad stopped loving my mom, but I get to see him on the weekends. And once every weekend turned into once every, every month. By the time I was 12, it was, it was like once every couple months. Then, by the time I was 13, I might see my dad like birthdays and holidays, that sort of thing. We were just 100 miles apart. It wasn't convenient. I love going to see my dad. He called me for my 13th birthday. He said, son, will you come up and see me? 
I said, I can't wait to see you, Dad. It's my birthday. I want to I hang out with you. Matt's coming too. He said, all right, son, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to take you guys to the Outback Steakhouse. We're going to have a great meal. And then I, I rented a movie for us to watch that night. I said, what movie, Dad? He said, Rambo. I said, oh, yes. <laughs> I was only 13. I was going to get to see a guy that took a lot of steroids shoot a machine gun. I was excited about that. I got up. We went to dinner. We had chocolate thunder from down under for dessert. And you want to know what happened after that? We went right back to his house, and we sat on the couch. My dad was on the couch. I was in a chair. My brother was in a chair. And we watched a movie. We, t- we turned it on, and it came on. The first scene was, a, was an action scene. It was machine guns and all that stuff. And I got so excited, I passed gas right there. <laughs> I'm not trying to be crude. This is a true story. I, I, you, could, you couldn't hear it, but you could definitely smell it. My, my, my poo crept across the room like death, hit my brother in the chair, and he was like, <laughs> and then when it landed on my dad, my dad just went stone-faced. He stood up because the remote was broken, pressed pause on the VCR. He turned around, he said, three words, who did that? I raised my hand, sorry, dad. My brother was still choking. <laughs> he looked at me and said, son, why don't you get off your, he had cool words that he learned in the Navy. And <laughs> go up the stairs right now and sit on the toilet. You ever had your parents and they say things to you and they don't make any sense? I looked at my dad and said, dad, I don't, I don't have to poo. I, I just had to fart. I'm sorry. This is a true story. He looked at me and said, son, get off your, and then he used lots of cool words. And he said, go up those, and yeah, more stuff. And he's like, sit on the toilet right now. I got up, looked at my dad, shook my head, went up the stairs. I stomped. I was trying to prove a point. This is so stupid. I went around the corner into, into the bathroom, and I slammed the door, and then I locked it. You ever done that to your parents? It's the opposite of smart. <laughs> I didn't have no place else to sit, so I put the seat down, sat on the toilet, put my head in my hands, said, this is so dumb. This is how I'm going to spend my birthday, really? My dad took those six steps in two. I heard him come up the steps, boom, boom. He rounded the corner, didn't check the door, just lowered his shoulder. The door exploded off the hinges, and there I am on the toilet. <laughs> he came over and grabbed me with both hands, pulled me off the john, and drug my body like, a, like I was a rag doll down the hallway to the top of the steps where he put both hands back on me and took my head and just threw it into the wall as hard as he could. So hard my head broke the sheetrock. My brother said, I fell down the stairs. He said, I thought you were dead. I thought he killed you. I blacked out immediately, so I didn't know what was happening. I just rolled down the steps. I didn't wake up till about an hour after that in the back of the truck. Threw me in like, like, road, like, like, like a deer he shot in the woods. Threw me in the back of the truck. Drove me 100 miles back to my mom. 
because he wasn't going to spend the weekend with a disrespectful son. I woke up, my head was hurting so bad. Blood all dried over my eye. I couldn't see out of my left eye. And I remember what I was thinking in that moment. I was like, I don't really care if I ever see him again. You want to know something? That wasn't the first time. First time I ever got my head thrown through a wall. It wasn't the first time he ever hurt me. You see, I, I messed up a lot. I told you guys that at the beginning. I used to mess up a ton. And every time I'd mess up, he'd hit me. Sometimes with a belt when I was little, but after that I got big and he just used his fists. And sometimes he hit my shoulder, sometimes he hit me in the tummy, but a lot of times he just hit me in the face. I'd help him work on the motorcycle, bring the wrong tool, and he'd hit me with it or he'd throw it at me. I knew what it felt like, but I still loved him because he was my dad. But that was the day I was like, I don't care if I ever see him again. Happy birthday. That's what I felt. And I shivered all the way home in the back of that truck. When I got home, my mom said, what happened? You okay? I said, Mom, I wrecked my bike. I wrecked my, my, my bike. I just want to go to bed. I always lied about it. Until that night, sitting in the back and Greg, my youth pastor, is telling the story. He started talking about his dad and he started to cry. He couldn't finish the message. He, he stumbled off the stage in tears, literally crawled like a baby. This big old fella got on stage and said, anybody want to be loved like that? He was a big football player from Auburn University. Guy named Foster Christie. He said, Anybody want to be loved like that? If you want to be loved like that, stand up right now. I'm in a room full of 300 students. I'm looking around to see if anybody's going to stand up. I put my head down. I was just crying. I couldn't help it. Tears are screaming down my face. I'm wiping them off so the girls won't see. I look around. Ain't nobody standing. I stood up. And when I stood up, about seven other guys did. He said, if you mean it, come here. I walked up to the stage. These other guys, that I, some of them I knew, some of them I didn't. Tears just screaming down my cheeks. He prayed over us and sent us into a back room. He said, there's some people here who love you. They just want to talk with you about what's going on in your life. He said, it's going to be okay. He looked right at me. It's going to be okay, he said. I got the guy with the cowboy hat and the creepy mustache. He said, you all right, Nathan? I couldn't believe he knew my name. I was like, you know me? He said, yeah, I'm Jimmy. We all know you. I was like, what does that mean? He said, you okay, son? He said, are you crying? I said, no, there's this huge bug that flew into my eye. <laughs> he said, well, can I pray for you? I said, yeah, sure. He put his hand on my shoulder and said a prayer. I can't tell you what he prayed. I couldn't remember as soon as he said amen, though, I took off. I ran out to the lake. I ran out by, by myself. And I just cried. <laughs> that lake got bigger. Went back to their cabin where all the guys were staying. All the guys were hitting each other with wet towels when I walked in. I couldn't understand it. I was like, why would you guys do that? 
Some of them had taken their shirts off. I'm like, dude, if somebody's going to hit me with a wet towel, I'm not taking my shirt off. I'm putting armor on. You know what I'm saying? They're all fighting. I'm like, I don't want to play. I pushed guys out of the way. I went back to my room. I was bunking with a guy named Marques, who was the godliest guy in our youth ministry. He was one of the godliest men I've ever known. Young kid at the time, we were both seniors. And he's sitting in his bed reading his Bible. We had one bed for two guys, which is really awkward. We had a wall of pillows so we wouldn't touch each other. I looked over the wall of pillows and I could tell something was wrong. I said, Mark, you okay? He said, no. Actually, I'm not. I said, you want to talk about it? He said, Nate, I saw, I saw you stand up tonight. I didn't know what he was going to say. He said, I'm really proud of you. I said, that means a lot. He said, I've been praying you would do that for a long time. He said, but I know all those other guys that stood up. He said, they stand up every year. Nothing ever changes about their life. He said, I know it's going to be different for you, though. And he rolled over and set his Bible on the nightstand and went to sleep. I prayed that night for the first time in a long time. I said, God, not me. I'll never be the same again. What I meant was, God, not me. I don't want to be the same anymore. I don't want to carry around all this pain anymore. What I meant was, God, I'm coming home. And you want to know something? The Father in heaven ran to me. And he threw his arms around me. And he hugged me and he kissed me. And he said, welcome home. Maybe today's the day for you. Maybe today's your day that you stop running and that you come home. Maybe you've been a Christian. Maybe you've given your life to Jesus once before, but for some reason you've drifted away. And right now you don't feel a close connection with the Father. You're a million miles from home. Maybe today is your day. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to count to three. It's really simple. Why is he counting? I'll tell you. Because I want you to make a decision this morning to follow Christ. And when I get to three, if that's you and you're saying, man, in my heart, Nate, I want, I want that. I, I want to be loved like that. I want to get things right with God. Some of you, may, maybe for the first time, some of you, may, maybe you've done something like this before, but you don't want to miss this. I just, want to be, I just want to be right with him. You're like me, you mess up. Maybe today's your day. One, you should probably stand up on three if your heart's beating out of your chest, if you know that, that there's a disconnect between you and your family, you and God, if you go to bed at night and wonder, you have doubts about your faith. Two, you could just stay in your seat because it takes guts to stand up in front of a bunch of people. I'm sorry I'm so emotional. No, I'm not. You should probably stand up if, if you know in your heart that you want that love more than anything else. 
So if you want to come home, would you just stand right now? Three. I said three. Should be a bunch of us. No, wait, wait, wait. This is the 830 crowd, right? You guys are all spiritual. That's good. I like that. Is there anybody else? I, I see you back there, buddy. Proud of you. Three. Will you come, will you come pray with me? You come up here. Oh, there, we, got an, we got another one too. Can we give these guys a big hand? Thank you for listening. More information about Fitness Church can be found online at fitnesschurch.com.